This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. Alrighty, 17 minutes after the hour is 7 o'clock. Good morning to you and thank you so much for being logged on to hour number two of the Power Breakfast Show. Thank you so much to the wonderful folks out at Bermudez. Makers of Cricks, your vital supply. Thank you so much. Good morning to all the folks out at Bermudez. Good morning to all the bakers, packaging. All the drivers, good morning to you as well. As you go to restock the groceries, the stores, the corner shop. Yeah, good morning to you. Thank you so much. All right. All right, gentlemen, let's get back into it. I have one more vote for you, Richie Rich. Uh, Michelle says my answer is no. All right, thank you so much, Michelle. Let me see if uh, our guest is online as yet. I'm here. Oh, there he is. There he is. Oh, I can't see. I'm only seeing two in blue. All right. Good morning, Dr. Khan. Yeah. Good morning, morning, Dr. Fuad Khan. How are you? Morning, 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 everyone. Recording in progress. Good morning, yeah. So our poll this morning, uh, if I may just give the poll results, our poll this morning, are you confident that the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service can bring gangs under control in Trinidad and Tobago? We had 21 people voting on the poll this morning. Um, but 22, sorry, people voting on the poll this morning. 20 of you said no, you are not confident that the GPS can bring gangs under control. Two of you said, yes, you think they can. Of course, this poll continues throughout the day, through all program- programming, and you get the final result tomorrow morning, which will be Friday. What mm-hmm. say you, Dr. Khan? I, I, the answer is no. I, I very don't believe that it could happen, because at the end of the day, this has been going on for quite a long time, and it still hasn't gotten nowhere. I think my personal opinion is a bit drastic. I think the army is not being utilized effectively. An army is is trained and designed to search and destroy, and they're not being they're not being used effectively for gang warfare. That is a war we have in this country. It's not one or two errant citizens running around the place committing media um, um, minimal crimes. These are people with guns another army outside there that's what it's outside there it's not a the police are trained for three months in a barracks to to let it well is it to hold people for petty crimes and to go after people for the, for the, gang, the gang, con, gang conflict dr Khan, is one thing but to really deal with the gang issue shouldn't we be looking at the root cause which is the funding of gangs which is the importation of illegal guns, arms, and drugs, which is not necessarily being done by the little boys in the street who fight each other. I'm not saying that. That's one part of it. The other part of it is how do, how do the guns come in? People say it comes in through the borders, and there are people finding guns coming through containers. How did the container come in? What, what is happening here is a blatant across-the-board system of corruption. Now, when we are in public life, we have to fill out integrity in public life forms, Right? But the people who are, who are, let's say, custom officers and those people, they don't fill out any forms. So at the end of the day, they have to check to see where they get their wealth. And at the end of the day, the whole system needs to be up, up, up you know, turned over. 
you you're saying just... that after all the talk about follow the money, follow the money, follow the money, and, and all this... You could follow the money, but you only follow the money on politicians. You're not following the money where you're supposed to follow it. You see, if you if politicians attack politicians to stay in power, they don't attack they don't they don't attack things to make the country better. I am attacking the politician and vice versa. Both sides attack each other, go absolutely nowhere. And at the end of the day, where the real action is not attacked. Think about it. To get anything done in this country nowadays, from what I'm hearing, you you because of the way the system is working, you have to pass something to get anything done anywhere. Because you else you line up for hours. The whole COVID system has brought about a whole public service corruption. But people are attacking politicians at the top. So so what is gonna make a difference? Because I'm sure you've seen all the reports <laughs> in your years in Parliament from the Financial Intelligence Bureau uh, about billions of dollars in flag transactions, billions of dollars in, in money with question marks to read. But what is gonna make a difference between <clears throat> that those reports of flag transactions and people being brought to justice for what is clearly the, 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 the financial the financial intelligence union reports leaves a lot to be desired. What they do, they flag all kind of things. They flag everything. If you put a thousand dollars in the bank and you're supposed to have a thousand dollars, they get flagged. The bank flags you. So what they flag and, and, and craziness is the same thing. As far as I'm concerned, the financial intelligence unit is a load on this country that goes absolutely nowhere. It has mashed up the banking system. The bank people cannot put their money in the bank. The exchange control system is mashed up. And the thing about it, what happens? Except a report at the end of the day and a noise saying that we have 14 billion dollars of unusual transaction out of that what percentage of it is really unusual because the bank if they don't flag everybody i was there in the parliament when they passed that law that the bank has to flag everybody no matter what so at the end of the day you have a bunch of junk one or two bad things and you, you can't as you say focus on the bad ones because you have all the junk to focus on yeah um, Dr. Cam, I wanted to look at the the issue sure. of the reshuffle, um, because you had a comment to make to make on it with with regard to the UNC's approach to the reshuffle, and you said that the assign reassignment by Prime Minister Dr. Rowley of of the various positions, including Faris Al Rawi, was strategic. Can you explain your um your perspective on it? Right. Faris has been there for seven years, or going on seven years. He has gone to court a lot of times with Anand Ramblogan and senior counsels, etc. Now, Faris is a, is a person who drafts law, but he's not a very, as you say, experienced attorney to the point of senior counsel. Anand Ramblogan and those others are senior counsel lawyers. Now, in order to fight Anand Ramblogan, senior counsel, you have to have somebody of that level and that ilk. So I could understand because of Farris has been not been successful at the at the at the courts based on what Rannan has been bringing and other things. You need somebody of a more experienced nature. So I had a strange feeling when I saw that you bring in Reggie Amor, who is a very good lawyer. He's a senior counsel and he understands law in a different manner. He will be able to put things in place. Better than Faris because Faris does not have that experience. As a, Are you saying Faris was underperforming? I'm not saying that. I'm saying he had the experience. Okay, as Minister of Health, I'm going to put a sidetrack. As Minister of Health, I worked in all parts of the health sector. I did not need 
to go to different levels. But I had the experience. I was a senior consultant. So I was able to run the ministry based on what I knew. If you're going to put somebody in the attorney general office and you get a senior counsel to do it, it is better than having a general lawyer. Ferris is a corporate lawyer. A senior counsel has worked in criminal as well as corporate, as well as civil law. So if you put that in the attorney general office, you're going to get you you're going to get a better, as I say, more experienced person. Faris, on the other hand, is a grown person. I know Faris quite well. He is able to to embrace people no matter what ilk. And putting him in local government, which is a delivery ministry, it delivers and also it has a lot of people there. If you're going after the corporations that the UNC holds, or you want to keep the ones or you increase your corporation level in a local government election coming up, one of the best men to put there is Faris. Faris is good, and also he understands local government reform, which is the bill coming up, which is going to transform local government. So you put Faris there, and you are going to end up with um with somebody who is experienced and wrong person, delivery ministry, knows how to work with people at local government. Local government is a big ministry. Then you have Camille. <clears throat> Sorry, Camille. <clears throat> Camille is a grown person. I know Camille since 1995. She is roots. Camille in housing could, could move housing in a manner because everybody wants a house and she could dance with it. Penny is not of that ill. Penny's a nice person who works at an administrative level. So put her in planning where not many grown people have to go. Then you have um, Kazim Hussein, very nice person, but he will work with the farmers because the farmers and Rambat was were not getting anywhere much. Although Rambat is a, was a, I think was a good minister, he tried his best to get agriculture moving. But Kazim is a people's person, so you are going to. So why I is all this? Person. Why is all this ground connection? And if we, if we follow your because, trend of thought, why is all this ground focusing on the ground important for the prime minister and the PNM government at this time? We have been in office for seven years. You have become, as I say, jaded. People have become jaded because you can't give everybody everything. So if you're going to fight the next election, be it local or general, you have to work the ground, the people on the ground. If you want to go from uh, 21 seats to 23, you have to make effort to work the ground. That is what um, Rowley has been trying to is it, an, is it an, an admission that the government and people have said it over and over, has lost connection and they're trying to reestablish that connection with the people? Yes, it's obvious. Because at the end of the day, um, Paul, after five years, you, people get habituated. You're new when you're going, everybody happy, everybody jumping up. Five years gone, right? You've gone from 23 seats to 21. The thing about it is a bit of jading. You've lost Maruga Tableland. So what? I've lost part of the ground. So next two years, COVID hit you. So you, you use COVID for a year and a half. People jaded with COVID. I have to grab back that wrong support. How do I grab it back? The only way to grab it back is by embracing them and trying to best to connect back with the ground. That's all that, that is what that whole reshuffle is about. And my voice to the UNC was, you have to look at it. There's a tidal wave coming at you. And if you do not get your act together and continue on the same old kind of politics that you're accustomed doing, which is what is your strategy seems to be. You are going to lose a couple more seats and you're going to lose a local government. Right now, I will tell you something. Sandy Grandi Corporation is up for grabs. Separia is always fine, fine. You have We had gotten um, inroads into San Fernando Corporation. That's going to be up for grabs. 
So those three corporations right now, with Faris as a local government minister, has to be taken seriously. But how much can Faris al-Rawi do in the short span between now and the local government elections, which is due this year? You could do a lot, um, Richard, because as a minister, you have the ability, right, to, to hit the ground, find out what's going on, talk to people, talk, walk around, as you say, into the different areas, strategically choose your spots. And if a drain one fixing, if a this one fixing, if that one fixing, you could do it because you could now crack a whip on different parts of the local government area that you need to do. Given the PLM's present position, do you think then that this, because people don't usually take on local government elections, we all know that, the turnout is very low. Do you think right. this local government election is going to be taken that seriously by the, the PNM because they've lost so badly in Tobago and because of the general sentiment after a pandemic, crisis after crisis, etc.? Is, is, is the focus on this election to re-energize re the PNM to head into a general in three years? I think this is what's happening. You can't just sit back and say, okay, I, I, I ain't doing anything. You have to find a strategic chess move to move forward. And this is it. This is the only thing that Prime Minister Rowley has going for him. Move his ministers to suit, to give them, as I say, the ability to deliver. That's all you have to do. You have to, you have to change the, the, the pattern of the chess game. It's a chess game. So if you change your strategic moves, then you can now grab your opponent sleeping or grab it um, from the um, pieces from the opponents. Yeah. You talk about citizens being jaded and that affects how they perceive, of course, the when a population gets jaded, the, the administration in power is the one that feels the brunt mostly. Um, but of course, people can also be jaded with the opposition. You, we had an interview with Gary Griffith a couple of days ago and he indicated that he was forming together with other people, it was a little mysterious, um, a third party option, and that they were going to be fighting the local government elections, If and Paul can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he says they are going to be fighting, yeah, that they are going to be fighting the local government elections. Mm -hmm. um, so my question to you, Dr. Khan, is how, how, much, how much dissatisfaction exists in the country that can give any possible third party configuration any um, mo mobility in terms of um, persuading the electorate to vote for them? Richard, for a third party to start off, it takes a lot of action, a lot of money, a lot of organization. It's a lot. It's not easy. Right now, you have the UNC. They are already established on the PNL. However, the, the middle ground is a bit jaded, not the Sukhofan supporters. I've got one middle ground. And they could turn the marginal seats around. If you have a three-way split in a marginal seat, you could go, as you say, 33, 33, and bring out a, 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 another set. So if the third parties are smart enough to just work the marginal areas of local government and the marginal areas of the actual general election, you could see a change in the marginal seats. You're not going to see a change in the, in the real diehard seats. But there are 10 marginal seats in this country that you could get it and make a difference and create a certain different movement. And then afterwards, you could go for a general with every 41 seats. But don't, they run, the of, don't, they, don't they run the risk of, of diluting that middle ground? You have Philip Alexander, 
You have the PDP saying they came in the Trinidad, and now you have Guy Griffith. How all viable all is that to the party with all these people grabbing for the same middle uh, ground? What is going to happen here is all three of them or four of them will get together at one minute and split those seats. So one person of the party will move, will, will go up. They're not going to be so stupid that five of them going up. No. I have a strange feeling that they're going to eventually coalesce and they're going to fight the PNM and UNC as one party, one coalition in the, in the election. You know, you know that's part of the problem. I think with with uh, when you have parties that coalesce, that you talk about Dr. Khan, because it always includes ingredients, and and I'm using the word ingredients very loosely, that is unattractive to some of the people who are in that third um, pool of people, that 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 independent group of people who who are looking for an option. Sometimes they find the mix is not pleasant. They may go with it, but they're not really satisfied with the mix. Right. And and um, and and additionally to that, how much has COVID changed this dynamic, if at all? Because COVID has had such a great effect on people, not only in their pockets, but also psychologically. So how much of a factor is COVID as a game changer in the political picture? Or do you think it's not a game changer? COVID is going to end. COVID regulations are going to end. People are going to forget COVID and they're going to forget it moving forward. Because people always look to the future. Right now, is not you have COVID and the Prime Minister talks about opening the country. And for that, I, I applaud him because right now, I think that's the best way to go. However, COVID is going to, going to end. And after that, uh, the elections are going to come. People are going to forget COVID. However, what I'm saying, the people are no longer... There are a lot of people not attracted to the government because... A government is usually voted out. Governments are not voted in. The incumbent is voted out, and the second nuclear comes in as a result of the government voted out. Nobody goes out there and votes in a government. They vote out the, the, the government affair. The, um, people are not happy with the opposition. They are, they, are, they are not happy. Even the general UNC is not happy with the with the, with the opposition is being run as a sort of a, a cult. And so people are looking for something else. They will gravitate to that something else no matter what because they will say, I, I don't want this, I don't want that, I might as well go here. Now, yes, if you, if the other parties are, are smart enough, they are going to put people who are saleable, who are marketable in the front. And if you put people who are marketable and saleable in front, you are going to change the dynamics. Speaking of marketable and saleable, do you, do you think Gary Griffith's popularity as police commissioner can translate into political capital as a, a, a significant person in a party or the leader of a party. He was never, with the greatest of respect, a big political figure, even when he was in the People's Partnership government. He was Minister of National Security for a short while. He was a, a National Security Advisor. He wasn't a big-ticket politician, but he was a big-ticket com commissioner of police. Do you think that can translate into political capital in this environment? Yeah, it can. It can. Because he's moved from national security, where he was not a big ticket in any way, to a police commissioner who is seen to be strong, strong and in fact, be strong on crime, strong on attacking the crime, strong on this. He seems to be strong. There's somebody, somebody looking on, they'll say, yes, I want somebody who is strong, who doesn't mince his word, who is independent of thought and action. So that is the person I want. That, you, you, you follow what I'm saying? So the independent person 
Well, gravitator, of course, my guy is different because they're looking for strength. They're looking for somebody who is going outside there and gun blazing, cleaning up the place. Yes, he has political currency. But is he right for leadership? That is what they'll have to decide. Have you been approached by um, any third party option? Yes, I have. Are you considering it? Yes, I am. Is this the Gary Griffith party that, that's approached you? No. Is this Philip Alexander? I didn't say no. You didn't say no for that. <laughs> you see, you we see us hear. asking. We, pr- we are prodding to find out. I know, but I'm not saying. Well, I mean, I, I, well, I appreciate you can't right go at that now, point. Right, anyway. now, right now, I want to say something. I would like to see my UNC party change this strategy so the people who are outside will be feeling safe to go back and start that movement and continue it because this already has a foundation of people. However, I'm not seeing that happening. I'm seeing it, the strategy, strategy is not there. The old days of the 2010, with the five parties, with my friend Jack Warner, with Mankadal Daga, with, with David, David, um, David Abdullah, Kamala, Prakash, Winston Dukaran, I would like that level of people to be in the party, not a representative. Yeah, but, but, but was, that really a, was that really a practical coalition or was it yes. a, a vehicle? Let me ask, was it really a, a, coal, a coalition of interests to get in power? Because they didn't really operate like a coalition, you know, they operate like the UNC and others, and in the end, the others <laughs> left because of a lack of, because, I guess, because, feeling of respect and inclusion. I don't want to talk, I don't want to, to talk about secrets of, of inside. It was a coalition, and I, when I was in that people's partnership, I was pushing the parties to dissolve themselves into one party called the people's partnership. Everybody was afraid to do it, but the thing about it, who would be leader? Everybody wants to be the leader. If they, as you say, have leadership that could be, as you say, transferred and part, partitioned, you, you could do it. It all, you need in this country, Paul, and Richard, you need a different system of governance for constitutional reform. I'm going to even so far as to say we need a party of national unity of all the sides because they, they are good people in all the parties. But when a party gets in power, you only use what you have. There are good people in UNC, good people in PNM, good people in PEP, good people right around. For this country to move forward, I think at right now, you need to get some kind of national unity party for constitutional reform to move this part. To move this but, but it doesn't seem like either the two leaders of the main political parties have that tendency. It's either they, it, it's, it seems like on both sides, you either follow my lead unequivocally or I come at get you. Rid you. I get rid I, of or you. I, I've seen it on the PNM side and I've seen it on the UNC side. I've seen Mrs. Pasabi says so say that the, the, the days of the, the, um, the, the party with the succession planning um, as, as if it's a, a, a royal family and those who detract, I guess, like yourself and, and those who, Vasan Bharat and others, who are being lambasted uh, on the PNM side, if, if you voice a different opinion, though you may have started PNM, like the Mariano Browns and whoever else, you are lambasted. It doesn't seem like the present construct of those two parties lends itself to respectful dissenting voices. It, it's either follow the Tony line or get out and, and, and organize your own party. 
Okay, I will say something, um, Paul. In Trinidad and Tobago as a cricket side, Jamaica has one, Barbados has one, everybody has a cricket side, right? But when we get together, we go as the West Indies and we are successful. Trinidad doesn't play on the world stage, neither does Jamaica, neither does Barbados. We need something of that kind of ilk. And if the leaders and them want to play football on two different sides and say that you, you belong to my team or you belong to my team, if you don't like my team, get out. If you do, if I do like you and you make a noise, get out. Then we have nowhere to go in this country. I you know, like I hear to... you. I hear you, Doctor Khan, and of course that raises the issue of inspired leadership, even if it's part of a national unity party, which is part of a third party configuration. And we spoke to Basdeo Pandey yesterday, and he talked about the need for constitutional reform. But in our conversation with him, he brought up the fact that a lot of the times when parties get into power even if they have a constitutional majority they are not interested at that point in changing the constitution because it involves devolving power which oftentimes politicians don't want to do how do we how do we get past that hurdle you know the thing about it and he's correct but the end of the day the politician, remember when we said, um, we said we're going to have two terms for prime minister, we're going to have this, we're going to have that, and nothing occurred? When, when, when the politician went into power, the person in charge, based on the constitution, which is the prime minister, who carries all the power, right? Even that prime minister that was put there by the others, such as Kamala, was put there by the five party, she took the reins of power and then started to, to move out the strength of the party because she saw it as uh, an attack on her, on her power, power base. Now, at the end of the day, the same thing would happen in the other side. We need to be find a way to do the constitutional reform because if the constitution reforms itself and the voting pattern changes to something like proportional representation rather than first past the post, we are going to have a, a government system of unity in such a manner that we move forward. Right now, we are, we are running on a treadmill going absolutely nowhere. We are running, but we are on the same spot, or in fact, going backwards. What do, you think of, our, what do you think? Did Mr. Ambarat's resignation surprise you, and what do you think about it? That surprised me because I thought he was, he was doing a good job. I didn't expect him to resign. Do you think it's linked to his revelations about land grabbing, <clears throat> etc.? Which would be sad because it would then it would be it, it would it wouldn't all go well for a, a government because if he if he's strong enough to attack that and squatting his country has gone crazy and obviously for what he's saying the squatting is there as a result of people in the ministry as they say fostering it then if he if he left because of that well then this country is in a sorry state. We I brought up the conversation yesterday with also with Basdeo Pandey that the Generation Z and a lot of the young people who are currently in universities in Trinidad and Tobago and abroad don't seem um, invested in Trinidad and Tobago. They feel they see the world as being the opportunity and so they don't feel they need to stay here and they don't see Trinidad as an attractive place to stay. I don't know if you're getting that sense from young people that you interact with in terms of your everyday and, and your everyday um, 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 workings and how do we as a country, um, do you see this as a problem, one, a potential problem, and how do we navigate it? It is a big problem because Trinidad has nothing for them. 
right now, the young people can't, the generation Z generation, X, what they call them, they can't get a proper job. They're very well qualified and there's no jobs. The thing about it, we, and I've always said to Richard, the people who make, the, who do the budget in this country are old fogies who have very little thinking power. They have been there for donkey years as senior public servants, and they create a budget that goes nowhere. It's the same budget every year for, for how much years? The same documents, the same everything else, with a little splice, a little sprinkling of something new. We need young people in this country to, to as you say, bring the ideas forward for the budget and the budget revision. So the public service as a whole needs to change and move away from seniority to the point of contract workers where they could bring in those young people to change the dynamics and thinking of this country to bring away innovation. Right now, when you go to the, what the expenditure of a country is based on a budget system that is archaic and the budget documents come from people, as I say, old people who have no thinking problem pattern and nothing in the ministry except they have been there for a long time. And they decide, they tell the Minister of Finance what to do. Nobody has a thing to have a think tank in this country where the Prime Minister should have an ongoing think tank that all these people do is to generate ideas and then we have other people. But, but the Prime there. Minister had a think tank. No, no, no. It was a, called a, the Roadmap ongoing. to Recovery. He had no, people no, no. like Dr. Terence Farrell and who, who left in frustration. And because they Paul, don't, they, Paul, the ideas Paul. come and they don't listen. I'm talking about a general ongoing think tank where you have people every day sitting down in a room or somewhere, not like a ministry or public service, and generating new ideas every day. And like an innovation say, division. Innovation something. But the thing about it, you can go and come as you want based on your, your feelings and how you're doing it. You bring in young people and one or two experienced people who can manage, not, not control them, but help them move forward. And this has to be ongoing every single day. You know, I hear you, Dr. Khan, but I will tell you that when I speak to young people, they're very wary of that because both major political parties have young people. Dr. Raleigh, when he started in 2015, basically kept a few stalwarts and brought in a whole lot of new people. Mrs. Pasabi says the same thing through Khadija Amin's um, Anita Haynes and, and others. But what happens is that they get subsumed into the leadership and the ones who are independent thinking are sometimes frustrated out because they don't, they, they're, they're not too in the line and no, no. nobody's listening well, to the ideas. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about, as you say, paying them to do it. This is a paid position. And your job is to generate ideas. Your job is to generate newness. Your job is to generate digitalization. Your job is to generate inno invention, innovation. That's your job. You go to work. But, but didn't that. Dr. Tiwari, in collaboration with you, we have that sort of innovation center? And it worked. But the thing about it, the, 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 you see, these things have to be fed and nurtured and fertilized. You don't just leave it there. Every day is something different or something new. It's a changing dynamic like a sea, like a river. It, you, you can't just leave it there. No. You have to be, as I say, fertilizing these minds and everything else because every day is something new. When you use the word politics and young people in politics, that's a joke because at the end of the day, nothing happens there. You just take the young people, you suppress them and you leave them alone. If you don't follow me, you get out and you change them again. No, that's not how it works. I'm talking about 
not a ministry because then you'll have public ones coming inside there and screwing up the whole thing. I'm just talking about young people. You, you, you pay a think tank. Okay, like how you have NIPDEC out of the public service. You create that type of, as I say, system. And you just take those ideas. And, ex- and excuse my cynicism, and what if the ideas coming out of the think tank are not in alignment with the agendas of the politicians who are in power? Because very often they get very good ideas, but if the ideas are not in alignment with their sectorial interest groups, okay. it goes nowhere. I'll come to something else. When, as a politician, you get ideas coming in, I try to implement it. I tried to do it when I was there. And I know the other ones tried. But the public servants, because of their fear and their, their, their stoicism and their inability, to, they go to, public servants go to work to just work and go home, you know, because they get a salary at the end of the day. What I'm saying, that they, they tend to, to kill ideas. If you, no, I hear you. I hear you. I don't necessarily buy that argument. I think it all comes down to leadership and how, how you inspire people and get people to buy in in terms of ideas. I think What's it's a two way street. I don't think it's, it's just, a, I just don't think it's just a blame game for public servants. No, no, I'm not blaming them. You have to generate the ideas and then you have to then tell them, implement this. You follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I was in the public service. I know how it runs. What happens? The public servants. They're very fixed in their thinking because they've been there for years. They don't move anywhere. You hardly move them around until some something happens. And they get, as I say, comfort in a comfort zone. And when and you think about it, you don't have to think anymore. You just you just write. We don't think Dr. Khan, what what is the biggest trace in this country? Thinking. People don't think anymore. They just do. There's no critical thinking in this country anymore. Right now, people don't think. They just do things. They, they, they do without thinking. If everybody, before they do something, thinks of a better way to do it, or I want to be better than yesterday, I want to be better than last week, I want to move forward, I want to, you would be surprised what this country Then what is. you're saying, we're not necessarily a competitive country, we're just happy with what is? We're just lucky that we have oil, we've gotten fat and fertile, all right? And we're not barren anymore. But we go into the barren state and we don't recognize it, because we don't have the oil, we don't have the money. We're going into the lean state, so people become more innovative because they're starving. Now we have become we have become lazy as a country of thinking because no matter what you do, you get. Think about it. We have to move forward out of that. This country has to go differently. Why could Singapore go where it's going? Because it's smaller than Trinidad, because of the thinking pattern and the Leadership, which was Lee Kuan Yew, changed dynamics. But I think leadership is an important factor there. They keep citing Singapore, and it's a different dynamic. Lee Kuan Yew was a, 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 a fortunately visionary, but still hardcore, almost do what I say kind of leader who happened to have the right vision for the country. We don't have that kind of governance system. The vision. The vision is important for the vision. Yeah, but he didn't have... But you couldn't couldn't say no to him, you know? I don't mind if I have a good vision. But I think, think, Dr. Khan, if it is you're talking about critical thinking and if you're talking about that sort of innovation, you have to look at your education system and, and and whether, in fact... It's modeling right. itself to produce the kind of citizens you want. 
Okay, Paul, let me talk about that one. I, I, my daughter, I learned it this way. My daughter went to Providence for five years. My other children went to St. Mary's and, um, and um, the other one, St. Joseph. But my little daughter went to Providence. And after that, I took her out and I put her into the American school system, which is, and I learned in the American school system that was done in, um, in West Morris for A levels. In the American system, you do have um, extra lessons. You're not forced into thinking a certain pattern. They teach you to think. And I saw my daughter, mine, go from being closed into employee kind of thinking to entrepreneur thinking because the way they teach you. And I begged Tim Gopisin to change it to the American type system where children are taught to think. They're taught to be open. They're taught to not, they're taught to question. They're taught to do everything. Our system creates employees. We don't create entrepreneurs. Content and regurgitation. Content and regurgitation. That's what you don't regurgitate, you lose. But the thing about it, the whole system needs to change. Our education system does not augur well for the children for the future. It doesn't do it. Right now, there's nobody learning finance. There's nobody learning in marketing, entrepreneurship, how to think, different ideas. No. They, they drive you into getting a president gold medal. And I asked the question, yes, all again, president gold medal scholarships. But how many of you all are successful or majority of people going to medicine and you can't get a job afterwards? You can't. So 98% of people who get scholarships who become president will go medal. They, they, they create nothing except being an employee down the road or leave the country and work in another system. So our education system doesn't make sense. But our education system, in a, in a strange sort of way, while it needs to be transformed, I agree, has also produced you and me and Richard and some great thinkers around the world in the Caribbean. Because you went away, Paul. I didn't go away, but I, did, I was educated. But, but I'll be honest, I was the educated at the tertiary level in an American system. Exactly. I'm not talking about the general basics, you know. I'm talking about the higher level. We give the reading, writing, arithmetic first. Fine. Get the foundation. But I'm always an advocate. Teach children as they're growing up finance. They need to know finance. They need to know about money. They need to know about marketing. They need to know about systems like that. Stick it into the school curriculum at a small level. They need to know about diet and exercise. They need to know those things. Not just find comforts and this, comforts and that. Yeah. No. And also another thing too, we, we put everything academic for and we do nothing practical. Right now, plumbing... As I say, people could do a whole plumbing industry, welding. Mechanics. I keep saying that we treat tech rock as if it's an afterthought yeah, when it, dra- it drove yeah, Germany's yeah, growth. Yeah, before yeah, we yeah, end, yeah. I want to I want to just switch gears again before we head yeah. to the club. Do do you would is it safe and practical to consider this pandemic over? I would say you have to not consider it over, but you have to take your personal precautions in areas where you think you may have the, the ability to catch the corona. So if you're in a public place where you have a lot of people, you put on your mask, you do your distancing. But outside there, you're safe. Would you have, would you be an advocate of, of removing all the, the, the COVID regulations? But Paul, and, and I was like that for the last year and a half. You know that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's me. I find it taking too long. Because yeah. at the end of the day, coronavirus only attack some very sick people and they're the people who have succumbed to it 
and there the people have to take precautions, not the whole 98%. Do you think we as a country have learned anything and, and applied anything from this whole two-year experience? What I learned, and I think a lot of people learned, is how to be frugal. Mm. How not to spend stupid. But some people <laughs> didn't have anything to spend, so they had no, to be no. frugal anyway. No, no, no. You have, you have, you probably what have to spend, so you could what afford to make a choice to be frugal. Other people, they are not choice they're frugal because they have no money. But that's the problem. And the thing about the regulation, I never say COVID in causes, you know. And I, I'll go down the line if you want, but the World Health Organization puts things in place. I came back from Panama and Colombia in the last two weeks, right? The thing about it, everybody's doing the same thing. And I asked myself, why? Then I realized the World Health Organization resolution has sent it down. And they have messed up basically a lot of economies. Uh, and people are starving as a result of the resolution with the fear of a COVID. But that's another whole different um, People, people, people do like to hear it, but the World Health Organization has some serious questions to answer with the Thank management you. of this pandemic. Right? I don't care what nobody say. But you see, um, monoliths like that are never questioned in the world. Now, Paul, I, when I was minister, I used to go to the World Health Organization and PAHO, and I always couldn't believe, wait a minute, what are these people doing here? They may know what they're doing. I used to tell myself that. Anyway. I think, I think, <laughs> I think they, uh, that like any other institution, there needs to be a proper analysis of how it was managed by them and the gaps in their management response, even the start and declaring it a pandemic and when it should and how they did it, have question marks over it. I agree with you, I agree with you 100% on that one. Uh, right. Well, of course, as we end the interview, there was just one final political question. Um, the PDP, uh, of course, has been incredibly successful in Tobago, and they're planning to come to Trinidad to um, ch um, uh, try their electoral uh, success and whether it can be re replicated in Trinidad. Do you think they have any hope in being able to make any inroads in Trinidad and Tobago? I mean, Watson, in Trinidad. Yeah, Watson's a very strategic individual, and I feel he could have a chance if he, if he really pushed it differently. Is that the party that asked you? I am not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying. Can you tell us who it's, can remember, you tell us who it's remember, not? Remember, is it, remember, is it not the PNM? Can you tell us who it's not then? What's that? Can you tell us? You're not telling, telling us who it is. Can you tell us who it's not? <laughs> no, I can't. Paul, let me, let me leave it sooner. Let me leave it hanging out there. Boy, the real trying to pick you. The real trying to pick you. <laughs> We have to try it. Dr. Khan, thanks for that, man, as okay, usual. Thanks for calling, eh? I All appreciate right. the conversation. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Fuad Khan, for being our guest this morning on the Power Breakfast Show. Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.